to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. Welcome to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. Well, there has been a lot of news this week and so many stories that it's really been difficult to choose from them, the ones that I really want to talk to you about. Honestly, I'm tired of talking about the Mueller report, which, even now that it's finished, it keeps coming back anyway, no matter how much we wish it away. And then there are the plots to get the president out of the White House, because the Democrats have never forgiven him for winning the election in 2016. And then there is the dysfunctional Congress itself, fighting for socialism, forgiving anti-Semitism, and orchestrating the downfall of our free enterprise economy. And then there's the North Korean deal that never happened, and the China deal that got stuck, and on and on and on. The stories just keep hanging around. So rather than going into depth again about these stories, I'm going to start off with some short takes on a bunch of crazy stories that popped up during the last week. Now this doesn't mean that I'm not going to come back to some of those other stories because they're still making news, but for the first part of today's show at least, I'm going to pick out a few stories that are a bit offbeat that I thought you might have missed or at least you might want to hear about. So here we go. Here's a story about training Afghani pilots in Texas. Yes, you heard that right. A United States program to train Afghani pilots in the U.S. But the story behind the story is that the program has been canceled. Why? Well, get this. Because 40% of the pilots in training went AWOL once they got to the U.S. <laughs> Who would have imagined that such a thing could happen? Oh yeah, I would. And so would you, probably. Anyway, they were being trained in Texas to fly the AC-208 Combat Caravan, which is a light attack combat aircraft manufactured by Northrop Grumman. So carrying out the training in the U.S. instead of in the countries where the training is actually needed? What idiot thought that such an idea would be a good one? Why not train them in Afghanistan? The United States has spent some $8.4 billion dollars to support and develop the Afghan Air Force. We have also provided 170 aircraft, and the Afghan Air Force now has 119 fully qualified pilots and dozens more in training. So why not train them there? Doesn't that make sense? Because in the end, only one class of Afghani pilots actually graduated from the Texas-based program. Those who were left from the second and third classes, well, they were sent back to Afghanistan, where they are going to finish their training. The fact is, we obviously haven't learned much from our past experience because this program has been going on since 2005, and in the 11 years between 2005 and 2016 that such programs as this have been operational, 152 Afghani military trainees went AWOL during their training in the United States. So are we super naive or just super stupid? Okay, here's another one you might have missed. 
The California State Board of Education has new sex education guidelines for children. The guidelines cover children, you ready for this? From kindergarten through high school. Did I say sex education in kindergarten? Yes, I did. The finalized framework includes lesson plans for children as young as five years old. And these plans are so incredibly inappropriate that any intelligent and responsible adult would be forced to draw the conclusion that it is the adults who are the ones who need a framework, one that does not interfere so wildly with the natural growth of young minds who are only just beginning to look at the world around them. And in case you were wondering whether the new framework aligns with state law about sex education, the answer is, of course, yes. This is California, after all. So the guidelines absolutely align with the state's sexual health and HIV prevention content that was mandated by a 2016 state law. But that law was just for middle school and high schools. The new framework goes much, much further. And in my view, it's much more dangerous. According to state officials, required topics include, quote, the safety and effectiveness of contraceptive methods, sexually transmitted diseases, gender identity, sexual orientation, and healthy relationships, unquote. This plan encourages teachers to introduce concepts like gender identity to children in kindergarten long before they should have to think about their sexuality in such definitive terms or make life-changing decisions when they are only five years old. The new guidelines explain that students in kindergarten can identify as transgender and it offers suggestions about how to discuss that with five-year-olds. It explains that, quote, the goal is not to cause confusion about the gender of the child but to develop an awareness that other expressions exist." Unquote. Really? I can't think of anything more confusing to a five-year-old than telling him that he doesn't have to be a boy if he doesn't want to, or telling her that she can be a boy if she wants to. In my book, the framers of these new rules have done something that can ruin our kids for life, and it should be actionable. The new guidelines also suggest that teachers of older students should discuss LGBT issues with gay teenagers and share ideas about how to have a safe, active sex life. The Department of Education explains that they are providing the most up-to-date information to the students and that the purpose is to make all the kids feel comfortable at school. Really? They said, and I quote, Dispelling myths, breaking down stereotypes, and linking students to resources can help prevent bullying, self-harm, feelings of hopelessness, and serious considerations of suicide. Unquote. How about outing sensitive adolescents and exposing them to real bullies rather than just trying to protect them from theoretical ones? Do they really think that kids will be kinder in an environment where everyone's sexuality is a matter for discussion and suicide is a possible outcome from bullying? Or maybe it's an outcome from confusion about sexual identity, which wouldn't have happened had the subject not come up in a public setting. Suicide is a problem.
It's a serious problem in schools today. But has anyone considered that it might very well be that this apparent need for educators, and I use the word cautiously, to interfere in the private lives of their students may be one of the factors that creates so much tension in our children's lives. Why should a teacher ask a five-year-old whether he or she wants to be something else, something other than what he knows himself to be? Isn't it part of life to learn to be who we are the way we were born as a natural process of growing up? And how is it possible that we can have any idea of who we are at the age of five when our sexuality is barely formed? Greg Burt, the director of the California Family Council, put it this way, quote, Not everything under the sun needs to be taught to our kids with no moral judgment, unquote. And whatever happened to teaching moral values and sex education at home? The framework also gives tips for discussing masturbation with middle schoolers, including telling them it's not physically harmful, and for discussing puberty with transgender kids that creates, quote, an environment that is inclusive and, wait for it, challenges binary concepts about gender, unquote. Wait a minute. This has now gone way past the role of education and is treading heavily on the unproven concepts embraced by progressives to add unnumbered alternatives to the two traditional genders, male and female, that have been in existence for as long as men and women have been on this earth. Not surprisingly, California is once again in the lead as the promoter of programs like this one that are not only inappropriate, but highly controversial and societally disruptive. If it were my kid in a school with such a program, he or she would be pulled out so fast that they wouldn't see him leaving. I can't think of a better argument for homeschooling. No one is going to brainwash my child with far-left indoctrination on sex or morals or anything else. This is a program that has the potential for creating far more problems than it solves. It should be pulled immediately before the rate of bullying and suicide goes through the roof. And here's another story for you. Only a few weeks ago, there was another school shooting. This one was at the STEM school at Highlands Ranch, Colorado. When the STEM school shooting happened, the world reacted again and of course, in shock and horror that yet another student used a gun to hurt or kill his classmates in a place that was supposed to be one of the safest places for your child to be. News agencies across the country immediately moved into high gear. They reported that at least two handguns were used in the attack and that the teens involved were not legally allowed to purchase or own them. According to the press, the authorities have not yet said how they got the guns, but someone revealed that, quote, local sources, unquote, reported that they had stolen the firearms from a parent. Neither suspect was on law enforcement's radar before the attack, according to the press, that is. But what followed those first reports is really disturbing because at the school where the shooting took place, Students were invited to attend a vigil in the school's gymnasium. 
They came because they wanted to mourn and honor the heroic death of their schoolmate, 18-year-old Kendrick Castillo, a student who died trying to stop one of the shooters. He saved many lives. And it was only 30 hours after the shooting when the students walked into that gym for the vigil. But what happened as soon as they walked in? They were immediately handed buttons that said, End Gunned Violence. And the politicians were there in force to lobby for gun control. The students and their families and the community members who came to honor Kendricks and the eight others who were wounded were stunned. Then the politicians did their thing. They began to speak and they called for stronger gun control laws. The audience was shocked. Hundreds, hundreds of grieving STEM students, parents, and community members walked out of that gym calling it all a political stunt. And they held their vigil outside. And then something else happened. The identity of the shooters was released. And it didn't meet the exacting standards of a discerning press. NBC reported that one of the shooters is gay and the other is transgendered and biologically a female who prefers to be addressed as a male. So all of a sudden, the media found the shooting far less interesting because it did not coincide with their narrative. That narrative prefers that the attackers are white, conservative males, preferably white supremacists, and Republicans. Not this time. So they just stopped covering the story. Now I have two more stories that I think I can squeeze into this part of our program and I'd like to share them with you. The first one comes from the land of Lincoln. And honestly, it is, it is just crazy on its face. The logic behind this story is about as absurd as it gets. So, Illinois legislators are now proposing to charge residents who own electric cars $1,000 in registration fees. That's up 57 times the current cost of registration, which is now $17.50 a year. Okay, you got the math? This year it's $17.50 a year to register your electric car, and next year it will be $1,000. Remember the reason that we got electric cars? It was to create a greener environment. It was to cut down on noxious gases in the environment, in the air. So why put a deterrent on that if that is your policy? Why? Well, I guess because they can. They figure that this tax will raise more than $2 billion. It still defeats the purpose of giving a tax advantage to people who want to drive green machines, doesn't it? And people with electric cars won't be the only ones to suffer if this bill passes because the Illinois gas tax will go up 43%. Fees for driver's license will double. And the registration for non-electric cars will go up to $98 from 48 
I guess the logic is that if you pay gasoline tax, so you don't have to pay as much in the kind of tax that they're thinking of putting on electric cars. Okay, but Illinois is in such financial straits, you call that insolvent, that I suspect they will do anything to the people who live there in order to stay solvent or to get solvent. Of course, if they tax residents so much that they move out of state, well, the state will not really have solved its problems, will it? Oh, well, this is socialism, my friends. Do we really want to get used to it? Not me. Okay, we're going to take a short break. But don't go away because I have another quick story to tell you, a funny one. And uh, then we're going to get into some of the politics of, that have really been getting a lot of attention over the last week. Still some of the same old, same old, but with a couple of new twists. So we'll get on it as soon as we come back and I will see you here. Pat Boone here for the folks at Swiss America. Rock solid foundations are vital in life, in business, and in finance, because in the end, only what we've built on a firm foundation will withstand the storms of life. Today, the economic storms are raging and the foundations of everything are being tested. The world economy has never looked shakier. And gold, the world's oldest and most trusted form of money, is also grabbing headlines. Now is the time to put your future on a rock-solid foundation. Swiss America will help you create an indestructible asset today. Discover the timeless truth about gold and silver by calling Swiss America or visiting online at SwissAmerica.com. 800-978-3901. Once again, that's 800-978-3901. America Out Loud is a groundbreaking news and lifestyle platform requiring top-tier analysts, strategic thinkers, and impressive commentators. I'd like you to meet Colonel Jim Warshuk. He's retired from United States Air Force. He is a career senior intelligence and special missions officer. He's a columnist and commentator. All back at America Out Loud. Colonel Warshuk, what is the state of our military today? We are in a strategic rebuilding, and we are going to reprogram and reprioritize our mission, our capability, our training, and what we need to do to keep America secure and safe. How can America Out Loud support not only the military, but peace around the world? I think the best thing we can do, certainly for our listeners and for Americans, is to make sure Truth is paramount in every single aspect of commentary, in writings, in whatever it is that America Out Loud provides to its listeners and Americans. That is, that is absolutely key. If we don't provide that, then we're really not providing a service to anyone. We're just another news organization, and we actually become just part of the mainstream media. We've got to be above that each and every day. Our goal is simple. It's to deliver an honest analysis and diverse opinions to keep you informed. All back at AmericaOutloud.com. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
New York City's mayor, Bill de Blasio, who wants all the steel and glass buildings in New York City to be retrofitted so that the glass will be all covered up because he says that they are environmentally unfriendly. This is the noble mayor, by the way, who has just been exposed for riding in a police car in 2015, speeding the wrong way down a one-way street in Manhattan, and crashing into a truck that was making a legal turn onto the street, and then trying to cover up. He's a fine guy. Anyway, de Blasio had a rally this week, and where do you suppose he had it? In the Trump Tower, of course, from the same escalator from which Donald Trump announced his candidacy for the presidency in June 2016. But de Blasio wanted to talk about his plan, his own Green New Deal, which has a much more boring name. He calls it the Climate Mobilization Act. Boring! Anyway, his bill that passed the city council last month, but which he hasn't yet signed, hopes to curb 40% of New York City's carbon emissions. How does he hope to do that? By clamping down on the emissions from the city's famous skyscrapers, the ones that draw tourists from all over the world to feed Manhattan's coffers with their francs and pounds and lira and yuan. Many of these awesome buildings, like the Trump Tower and many others, are constructed of sparkling steel and glass. To be fair, according to a recent study, New York's buildings produce about 70% of the city's greenhouse gas emissions. That's a lot. So de Blasio wants all these buildings to be retrofitted before 2030 so that the glass walls are covered up and retain more heat and cooling. If this is not done, owners will be fined as much as a million dollars for each building. In a classy state, in a very classy statement from Donald Trump's escalator, de Blasio said, ostensibly to Donald Trump, quote, his buildings are one of the biggest polluters in New York City. Cut your emissions or we'll cut something you really care about, he said. He then qualified his statement by adding, quote, we'll take your money, unquote. The good news was that de Blasio was forced to shout his speech over the jeers from the crowd in the lobby, which also had music blaring, and some of the protesters riding up the escalator behind him, carrying signs with slogans like, Trump 2020, and worst mayor ever, honestly, worst rally ever. And on some more serious subjects, here are several more pieces of news that may not have made it into your inbox. According to a reliable source, the head of Iranian intelligence in Yemen defected last week and is now being interviewed by American and British intelligence. I'll bet he's giving them some very valuable information. And another story that didn't make the front page is about how the United States just fired off an unarmed Trident II D-5 missile from the USS Rhode Island, an Ohio-class ballistic missile submarine. The missile was launched from off the coast of Cape Canaveral, Florida, as part of a demonstration and shakedown operation. 
barely two hours after North Korea fired off two short-range missiles for the second time in five days. The exact range of the missiles is classified, so I can't tell you what that was, but it, it's likely that it flew about 7,000 miles and landed somewhere off the coast of Africa. It was intended as a strong message to Kim Jong-un. Maybe you can hit us, but we can hit you harder. And one more story on a totally different subject. Over the weekend, FBI agents discovered a makeshift military compound used by Islamic jihadis that was hidden in some dense Alabama woods, very close to downtown Tuskegee in rural Macon County. The site was being used as a terrorist training camp. The property, and this is the interesting part, is owned by Siraj ibn Wahaj. He is the same man who was discovered leading a small group of wannabe terrorists in a compound in New Mexico. Do you remember? He was allegedly training young children to carry out school shootings there. Ibn Wahaj and the four other adults living there at the compound were later indicted by a federal grand jury. They were indicted on charges of providing material support to terrorists, conspiracy to murder an officer or employee of the United States, kidnapping, possessing a firearm while unlawfully in the United States, and other charges. He is also the son of Siraj Wahaj, the notorious imam and spiritual leader of the Al-Taqwa Mosque in Brooklyn, New York. The father is known for being charged as an unindicted co-conspirator in the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center in Manhattan. Wahaj had made statements in which he supports Islamic laws over American democracy. And such horribly cruel punishments as stoning for adultery, cutting off hands for thievery. He's an advocate of FGM, you know, female genital mutilation, a brutal custom which is usually carried out on young girls and affects some 200 million women around the world. He's been quoted as saying, quote, Islam is better than democracy. Allah will cause his way of life, Islam, to prevail over every kind of system. And you know what? It will happen, unquote. He has also said, quote, if Allah says cut off their hand, you cut off their hand. If Allah says stone them to death through the prophet Muhammad, then you stone them to death because it's the obedience of Allah and his messenger. Nothing personal, unquote. Really? Nothing personal. Hmm. Wahaj is a devoted messenger for Allah. As a messenger for America and our democratic system, however, he is a total failure. But he has a large following, so he is dangerous. Linda Sarsour has proudly called him her mentor. And it is his son who has been found at this new compound in Alabama. Like father, like son, no. And if you think that this find in Alabama is an aberration of some kind, the FBI says they are currently involved in 850 terrorist investigations in the U.S., and they have cases in every state. 
You know, in addition to having this news show every week, I also contribute a weekly article which is posted on AmericaOutloud.com. In one of these, I spoke about the ongoing war against Christians that is going on all over the world. Over the last 10 years, I have written a number of articles on this subject, and I cannot for the life of me understand how people can be silent about this. Just last month, at least 100 Christians in Nigeria were killed and hundreds of others injured, according to a human rights watchdog group that warned that attacks against Christian farming communities seem to be spreading. That report details that between 750 and 800 Christians have been killed by armed jihadist groups in Nigeria during the first four months of 2019. That's astonishing. Almost 800 Christians have been killed by armed jihadist groups in Nigeria during the first four months of this year. Of those killings, the NGO says that about 550 were perpetrated by Fulani Islamic militias. In addition to the 550 to 600 Christians who have been butchered at the hands of the jihadists, hundreds of homes and dozens of churches have been burned and destroyed. So far, the 200 killings in 2019 have been carried out by Boko Haram and the Islamic State in West Africa, which has terrorized northeastern Nigeria and parts of Niger, Chad, and Cameroon for a long time. And then on Easter Sunday, you remember, a massive coordinated terrorist attack against three churches and three hotels in Sri Lanka left more than 250 dead, most of them Christians. There's a war going on, guys. It's going on in Egypt against the Coptic Christians. It's going on in Pakistan against helpless Christians who are accused of blasphemy, a capital crime for non-existent offenses. It's a war by militant Muslim jihadis against Christians in Europe and Asia and Africa and, yes, right here in America. And we need to pay attention because it may soon be playing in a neighborhood near you. And finally, let's talk for a few minutes about the China trade talks, which seem to have faltered badly. Throughout the week, the fears of the American people were reflected in the stock markets. All week, the markets were down. But on Friday, the day after the announcement that no agreement was reached and the Chinese team had gone home, the Dow fell 617 points on that one day. Depending on your point of view, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, it was either a good time to cry or a good time to buy. The fact is that as the negotiations were drawing to a close, the Chinese team decided to renege on some of the important points that they had agreed upon only weeks ago. It was disappointing. And then when they came up with a new agreement, the U.S. team, not surprisingly, refused to accept. A relatively short meeting on Friday did little to ease the roadblock, and the Chinese team returned to China without any resolution. But the President's White House economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, told Fox News Sunday, and I quote, 
The talks will continue, and I will say this. There's a G20 meeting in Japan toward the end of June, and the chances of President Trump and President Xi getting together at that meeting are probably pretty good. Unquote. So here's what I think. The president is doing just the right thing. The Chinese have been stealing our most precious possessions, our proprietary technologies, the creations of our best and our brightest. And they've been using them in their own products, which they then sell back to us and the rest of the world at our expense because their products built on our stolen technology are now competing with our products. It is estimated that this costs America billions of dollars every year. In something called the Great Microchip Heist, China may have stolen as much as $8.75 billion in patented American technology. There's a commission on the theft of American intellectual property, and it estimates that China's policy of stealing American IP has cost our economy between $225 billion and $600 billion every year. Look, folks, it's a lousy deal and it needs to stop. But it won't stop unless we, America, make it happen. And President Donald Trump is just the person to do that. It's likely to take time, although much of the hard work has already been done. And the process is going to hurt. There will be consequences. It's going to hurt the farmers and our high-tech adventurers, the ones who develop all this new technology and then put it to use. And it will hurt the small manufacturer who will have to spend more money to buy the goods that they need to stay in business. And it will hurt Chinese companies even more. At the moment, it's a war of tariffs. And China has just informed us that they too will impose high tariffs, up to 25% on American imports. But I'm confident that eventually a deal will be reached and both America and China will benefit greatly from a fair trade agreement in which everybody wins. My guess is that by summer we will have moved on. So stay tuned. There's one more story that I think we have time for. It's old and it's tired, but maybe it still has some life in it. In my humble opinion, the Democrats have now officially gone over the edge and are bordering on certifiable. Here's the crux of the current issue. The Democrats in Congress have rejected the Constitution that they pledged to uphold. They have demanded, and this is the crazy, crazy part, they have demanded that the U.S. Attorney General, William Barr, break the law that was created by Congress. And when he refused to do that, they have now cited him for contempt of Congress for not breaking the law. Well, you know what I'm talking about. They want Barr to give them the entire Mueller report unredacted. And of course, there are parts of the report that cannot be made public because of a law that Congress passed some years ago. It's called Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 6E, which provides that an attorney for the government must not disclose a, quote, 
matter occurring before the grand jury, unquote. So Barr agreed to provide the full report with only the 2% redacted that covered the testimony given behind the closed doors of the grand jury. But of course, that's not good enough because the truth is that this is not about the report. It's not about the Mueller report. It's not about the investigation. This is about the Democrats still being angry that Trump won the election in November 2016. And it's about their being willing to do almost anything to bring him down. When they couldn't do that through the findings of the Miller report, next best thing is to bring down his attorney general. It's childish, it's stupid, and as far as the country is concerned, the Democrats in Congress are totally disregarding the job they were elected to do. Unfortunately, this soap opera is far from over. So I'm afraid I will have more to say about it in the weeks that follow. But for the meantime, I wish Attorney General Barr well, and I'll leave the rest of the story for another time. Well, we need to take a short break now, but don't go away. I'll be right back, and when that happens, I want to talk to you about a war that is brewing in the Middle East. It's a topic you do not want to miss. So don't go away. I'll be right back. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. You know, there is so much going on in the world that I have neglected to talk about one of the areas of greatest concern, the threat of war in the Middle East. There are so many players and so many playgrounds, Iran, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Iraq, and of course, Israel. But also involved, although situated outside the region, are Russia and the US. At the center of the troubled area, however, the one who is trying to pull the strings is Iran. Iran has been rattling its sabers now for a while. They've been threatening the US and Israel with terrible wars. And while Americans were preoccupied with the Chinese trade talks, the shenanigans going on in Congress, and the contest going on between rival Democrat candidates for America's top job, the Middle East has been heating up. Hamas unleashed a huge deluge of nearly 700 rockets, missiles, and mortars on Israel's civilian population for a two-day period. At the time, there seemed to be little connection between this attack and the war of words between the U.S. and Iran, except that Iran is funding Hamas, and it is believed that they are secretly assisting their military activities against Israel. So what began as a war of words between the United States and Iran has already triggered an escalation in the Middle East. On April 8th, the U.S. government officially designated the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, 
as a terrorist organization. That was appropriate, by the way, and in my opinion, long overdue, but it was the first time an element of a foreign state has been officially named a terrorist entity. The IRGC is a brutal military force, and they answer to no one but the Ayatollahs. They are, by any definition, terrorists. But in response, Iran's Supreme National Security Council, which is chaired by Iran's President Rouhani, designated America's U.S. Central Command, also known as CENTCOM, as a terrorist organization too. CENTCOM oversees the American military forces in the wider Middle East, so the entire region was included in Iran's new designation. Then, Iran announced it would begin backing away from its nuclear deal with the world powers, and President Rouhani gave European leaders a 60-day deadline to find a way to protect his country from American sanctions. If they don't do that, he said, Tehran would begin to enrich uranium at a high level, one which is closer to or at weapons grade. Trump told reporters at the White House, quote, what I would like to see with Iran, I would like to see them call me, unquote. And one CNN report said that he had given his personal number to the Swiss to pass on to Iran so that they could call him directly, personally. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo repeated the president's invitation, but he also mentioned Americans' concerns about Iran, and he, he included uh, the following quote, 40 years of killing American soldiers, attacking American facilities, and taking American hostage, unquote, was one of his concerns as well. In response to Trump's invitation, however, General Yadola Javani, who is senior commander in Iran's IRGC, said last week, Tehran will not talk to the United States. There will be no negotiations with America, unquote. And so the president has taken another step, this time as a warning to Iran, just in case they think the American president was weak and just throwing words at them, as his predecessor did. In response to Iran's threats, Washington dispatched the USS Abraham Lincoln Carrier Group, from the 6th Fleet in the Mediterranean to the 5th Fleet Area of Operations, which is closer to Iran. The USS Abraham Lincoln Carrier Group includes two guided missile cruisers. On May 9th, the strike group passed from the Mediterranean through the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal is a 120-mile-long channel that runs between Egypt and the Sinai Peninsula and connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea. This passage is the critical connection that allows ships to travel from Europe to Asia without having to go around Africa. So the carrier group will be joined by the amphibious warship USS Arlington and a battery of Patriot launchers, which is capable of shooting down incoming missiles with considerable accuracy. Washington also sent four B-52 bombers to join the Abraham Lincoln Battle Group. The U.S. Air Force Central Command released photos that showed B-52 
B-52H Strato Fortress bombers arriving at Aludeid Air Base in Qatar on Thursday night. Other B-52s were also sent to an undisclosed location also in what the U.S. calls Southwest Asia. In military speak, that refers to the Middle East. Then the Iranians up the ante, big time. During this last week, four oil tankers anchored in the waters off the port city of Fujairah in the United Arab Emirates were attacked with explosive charges that left gaping holes near their waterline. The attacks were immediately called sabotage, although there has not been any official claim of responsibility. The U.S., however, has put the probable blame squarely on Iran. None of the ships were American, however, although they were reported to be carrying oil bound for the U.S. The incident has raised questions about maritime security in the UAE. If the attack was, in fact, orchestrated by Iran, it raises another question that is more specific to the growing U.S.-Iran war of words. The UAE is home to Dubai's Jebel Ali seaport, which is the largest man-made deepwater harbor in the world. That port is also the U.S. Navy's busiest port of call outside of America. So were these attacks on non-U.S. ships a warning to America from Iran? Targeting those ships were not direct threats against the United States, which might have triggered the response that President Trump had been warning them about. But the attack on the tankers might well have been a message to the president that Iran means business as well. So where does that leave us? On May 13th, a Saudi Arabian oil pipeline was attacked by drones. And on that same night, Iran threatened to attack Israel if the U.S. should initiate any action against it by American forces. Now, the pipeline attack may be connected with something else, with Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen, and it may have nothing to do with the Iran situation. But Iran's warning to Israel makes it clear that it intends to use Israel as a shield against any U.S. attack. And in the meantime, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is reported to have gone to Sochi, Russia, to speak to Vladimir Putin. His message, according to our source, is to ask Russia to tell Iran to knock it off, or Iran will suffer the consequences. So the situation is complicated, to say the least, and tensions are rising. The president has warned Iran that if necessary, America plans to send as many as 120,000 U.S. troops to the region in response to Iranian aggressive acts against us. Some sources report that the deployment could also be triggered if Iran accelerates its work on nuclear weapons in breach of an international treaty. Iranian Parliament's Vice Speaker Ali Motari said, quote, The U.S. military forces' deployment in the Persian Gulf is more of the nature of psychological warfare. They're not ready for war, especially when Israel is within our range. Unquote. But when President Trump was asked if an invasion was on the table, he replied, quote, We'll see what happens with Iran. If they do anything, it would be a very bad mistake. Unquote. <laughs> 
And by anything, of course, he's talking about an attack on U.S. interests. This, my friends, seems as though we are playing a great, big, global game of chicken. Iran has allies in Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip. They also have allies in Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria. And Hezbollah has the IRGC support as well as thousands of missiles aimed at Israel from their positions in the north. So British Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt has warned that America and Iran are in danger of stumbling into a conflict. He said, what we need is a period of calm to make sure that everyone understands what the other side is thinking, unquote. But that, in my opinion, is hardly likely to happen because there is very little understanding between the players representing the West and the Mideast. They simply do not understand each other's goals or rationale or ego or even their way of thinking. You know, there's a story about the Middle East and I'd like to tell it here because it seems relevant, although you have probably heard it more than once before. It's about a camel who was standing on the edge of the river trying to figure out how to get across. And as he's standing there trying to figure this out, a scorpion comes along. And the scorpion says, Hey, camel, how are you doing? And camel says, I'm doing fine, I guess, but I'm trying to figure out how to get across the river. And the scorpion said, well, you know, I know where all the rocks are, so I can guide you. So I need to get across the river too, but if you'll take me across on your back, I'll show you where to cross, where the best place is to cross, and then you can get across, we can both get across. And the camel looked at the scorpion and he said, wait a minute, that's not right. If I let you get on my back, when we get to the middle of the river, you'll sting me and we'll, we'll drown. And the scorpion said, well, why would I do that? If, if we're in the middle of the river and I sting you and you drown, I'm going to drown also. And the camel thought about that for a bit. And he said, okay, that makes sense. All right, hop on. So the scorpion told him where the rocks were and they started to go across. And sure enough, in the middle of the river, the scorpion raised his tail and stung the camel in his back. And as the camel was drowning, he said, Scorpion, why did you do that? Now we'll both drown. And the scorpion answered, How should I know? This is the Middle East. And that, my friends, is the answer to a lot of the questions you may have about why people do what they do. Why does Iran do what it does? Why does, why, why does anybody in the Middle East do what they do. And there is no answer that really is acceptable to a Western mind because this is the Middle East. It defies logic sometimes. So anyway, getting back to the original topic, British Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt has warned that America and Iran are in danger of stumbling into a conflict. But I don't think that if a conflict begins, it will be because of a stumble. If the Middle East dissolves into war, just like the scorpion, it will be absolutely intentional, even if it makes no sense at all. 
It would be a great understatement to say that the current situation in the Middle East is extremely dangerous, unquote. This, my friends, is a match in search of a gas leak. Anything could ignite it. So the U.S. military is now being positioned in the Middle East in response to what they call, quote, the heightened Iranian readiness to conduct offensive operations, unquote. And the world watches anxiously to see what will happen next. Back last summer, Trump made his position very clear. In a message to Iranian President Rouhani on July 24th, he wrote, and in all caps on Twitter, Never ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. Be cautious! Exclamation point. And as I said, that was a tweet in all caps. President Rouhani's response made to Iranian diplomats left little doubt of Iran's intention. According to Iran's state news agency, Erna, he said, quote, America should know that peace with Iran is the mother of all peace, and war with Iran is the mother of all wars, unquote. Earlier this week, an English-language tweet that tagged President Trump came from a close advisor to Rouhani. The tweet said, You wanted a better deal with Iran? Looks like you're going to get a war instead, unquote. It couldn't be plainer than that. And yet, between then and now, something quite unusual and interesting has happened. Even as I sit here talking to you about this dangerous situation that is unfolding before our eyes, a news bulletin has come across the wire that has captured my attention, as I am sure it will capture yours. Iran's Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei has just given a television speech in which he said, quote, There will be no war with the U.S., unquote. The big message in this breaking news is that the leader has spoken, and that is the definitive statement. A crisis has, for the moment, been averted. So what will happen tomorrow? It's difficult to tell. This is, after all, the Middle East. We can only hope and pray that the wiser heads will prevail and a new war will not explode on our landscape and that as we search for peace, we do not thrust ourselves into war. So as I always say, stay tuned. This is far from over. Well, here we are at the end of another hour. I hope you have a good week, and I look forward to being with you again next week. Don't forget to send me an email if you have something you want to share with me. One of these days, I will get organized enough so that I will be able to respond to you on the air, and I would like that a lot. Just be patient with me. Send me an email to alana at americaoutloud.com. And in the meantime, have a good week and stay safe. You've been listening to the news magazine from the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman. 
and this has been the Friedman Report.